Thanks so much for joining us here on the Rivers Church Podcast. We see a church full of passionate people who reach the unchurched with the gospel of Jesus. Our heart is to equip people to love, live, and lead in God's kingdom. We hope you enjoyed today's message and pray that it encourages you to be all that God has destined you to be. If you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us and check us out on our website at riverschurch.co. That's riverschurch.co. All right, if you guys want to go ahead and stand, we're going to read from the word. We have Acts 2, 41 through 47 here. All right. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods, and they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, before you're seated, let's, uh, let's pray. Would you join me right now, Lord? Just thank you for the atmosphere of this place, of this room. Whether your spirit is here in such a very real and tangible way. And Lord, I just get this sense even now that you are restoring hope to those who have felt hopeless. You're bringing courage and encouragement to those who have felt weak, who have felt lonely, God, I just pray that by your spirit, you just continue to move in this place here today. Lord, would you use my words? Lord, would you speak through me? Would you speak to all of us, Lord? Lord, for those that maybe are far from you or don't know you, don't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that today would be a day they see how real you are and how loving you are. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of salvation for them, Lord, they begin a relationship with you and find that life, that hope, and that freedom in you, Lord. And Lord, would you just ignite faith inside of all of us, As we look at your word today, Lord, I pray that your spirit would move in and through us and among us in a mighty way. And Lord, would you continue to help the Mariners, the Seattle Mariners, in their winning ways so they can make the playoffs. Finally, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hey, next Sunday, next weekend is Labor Day weekend. You know that? So next Sunday, we're having what we call One Sunday. It is our Spanish church, our English church. We come together for as one church, because we are really one church. For one Sunday, for one service, we come together as one. So next Sunday is going to be really good. If you're in town or you're wondering, should I stay in town next weekend? There's a good reason to stay in town. Our bilingual services are always super fun. So that's next Sunday. We're going to be here with our Spanish church. Uh, on that. So one Sunday. Hey, just a, a little point of review from last Sunday. Uh, a lot of you were here. You heard the message. I just want to reiterate the importance for us as a community of believers, as a church, the importance of the fivefold ministry. Ephesians 4, verse 11, Paul talks about the fivefold ministry, and we believe that you have one of these gifts or one of these callings. You can call it a calling. 
And we wanna help you discover what is that gift that you have? Because I think you got one of these. And we wanna hear from all of you what is your gift. So go to the digital program that Vanessa just uh, pointed us to. You can scan that QR code on the Connect card, that Connect card that's in your seat. And uh, don't do it now, but uh, do the, you can uh, take that APEST test later on today or sometime this week. Find out what your gift is and then let us know. Email us, connect at riverschurch.co. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. We want to gather all of those fivefold ministry gifts here in our church, and uh, we want to see how God's going to use us in each of those gifts. We want to help you, want to empower you, want to equip you in, those, in that gift, whatever that gift is. So can you do that this week? It's just a reminder because, again, these are important for the church, and so they're important for us as a church. So that's just your reminder, and I will remind you again. <laughs> Hey, 10 years ago, there's this interesting article that came out in Newsweek, and the, the cover page was about this article that said, forget the church, follow Jesus. And even as I say those words, some of you might think, ah, I kind of resonate with that. Maybe I get that. You can kind of get maybe the direction, the point of where this article was going. There's a lot of people that have major issues with the church. But you can talk to them about Jesus. They're, they don't have any problems about Jesus. They may not believe he's Lord or that he is God, he, that he is who he claimed to be, but they at the very least would think he's a nice teacher. He taught good things. Uh, so they'll talk about Jesus, but they have issues with the church. And even as I talk about that, maybe some of you, you kind of feel the same way. There's a lot of people out there that feel like, uh, Jesus, okay, but I don't know about the church. And I believe that God's doing something new within our world to remedy that solution, which I'll talk about in a few moments. But let's just be fair and honest. There are issues in the church. I get it. People are frustrated with church. It's easy to get frustrated with church. You see divisiveness. You can see a lack of love, a feeling of judgment coming from church people. Maybe you've felt that before. Uh, there's immorality, there's scandals. All these things kind of point to this, this feeling that a lot of people have of like, the church is just jacked up. Like, why would I want to go to church? Those people are more messed up than I am. And a lot of people have that view of church because of what they see, what they hear, what's in the news, or maybe even how they've been treated within the church because there's a lot of people that have been hurt by the church and they want nothing to do with the church. And it breaks my heart, guys. I know it breaks the heart of Jesus, but let's just be real and say, there is no such thing as a perfect church. In fact, you know what they say if you find a perfect church? What do they say if you find that church? Don't go there, right? Because you'll ruin it. Because <laughs> no such thing as a perfect church. The church is full of people like you and I, imperfect people. Whenever more than one person gets together, there's bound to be some issues, some tension, some conflict, things are going to happen. And we know that shouldn't be the case, for, especially for leaders in the church and different things we see. And so that's why I, you, you kind of see God's doing a cleansing within his church right now. And I think some of the issues we see within the church, within the Western culture church, are because of how we do church, if we're honest, which is why I think God's doing a new thing. A new, uh, a new work, and we need to be open to what is God saying to us now as his people, as the church? How should we, how could we, how are we being called to be the church? Because this series is called 
stop going to church, right? So we don't want to just go to church. Hey, let's be real. Let's not play church. I'm not interested in playing church. I didn't give my life just to a career of public speaking and playing church. I gave my life because I I felt like God was calling me to stir up the people of God within the American culture and say, let's be the church that he's called us to be. Okay, I don't want to get ahead of myself here. So, (laughs) Jesus gave his life for the church, guys. He gave his life for the church. And I think it's important that you and I don't give up on the church. I know there's a lot of people out there that want to give up on the church, and they're interested in Jesus, but not the church. And again, we, we can get that. We can understand that. But I say, let's not give up on the church. Let's, yes, follow Jesus. I kind of like that tagline, like follow Jesus. Make that like the passion, the driving force of your life. Let's follow Jesus, but let's not forget the church. Let's be the church. Let's be the people of God he has called us to be. By the way, if I am a believer in Jesus and I say, yeah, I believe in Jesus, I'm following Jesus, but forget the church, then what I'm saying is forget myself because I am the church. Go ahead and just say that right now. Say, I am the church. church. Okay, if you're a follower of Jesus, you and I are the church. And I pray that we would be the people that God has called us to be. I, I, I pray that we would pursue Jesus, that we would pursue holiness that we would pursue righteousness as we, we would walk in his grace. Uh, that's why, I mean, we're seeing issues within the church and all these scandals because people are just playing church too much. And this whole following Jesus becomes more about uh, kind of like, a, 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 I don't know, just a habit instead of a lifestyle. It's kind of a side gig instead of the central gig of my life. So we don't want to play church. We want to be the church. That's what we're talking about in this series. And so here's a question I want you to wrestle with. What if we made our mission a matter of life and death? What if? And that might sound a little bit extremist. But is it? What if we made the mission that Jesus has given us as his people, as the church, a matter of life? And death. Here's one of the things I think we'd see. I think we'd, we'd see less of pointing the fingers at what's wrong with other people and what's wrong with the church because we'd be just a bunch of people on mission, just like we're on the move and God's doing all these great things. We're seeing God do awesome things because we're, we're focused on being the church instead of what's wrong with the church. I think we'd see a little bit of that, but I, I really believe that the mission that Jesus give, has given us really is a matter of life and death. And it might not be for you because if you've already accepted Jesus, you're following Jesus, then, hey, your life is saved and changed forever. We're thankful for that. But for other people that haven't accepted and received the gospel of Jesus, their life hasn't been changed by the message of Jesus. It is a matter of life and death, friends. What if we made this mission a matter of life and death? And so here's here's how we've articulated the mission for us here at Rivers Church. We're gonna love people. Live like Jesus and lead others to him. That's what we want to be about. We want that to be a driving force for us as a community, but also for us as individuals. You and I can individually live that out. So let's all say that together so it gets into our our, our, our cranium here. Love people, live like Jesus, 
and lead others to him. It's a combination of really the two prominent teachings of Jesus, the greatest commandment and the great commission. So the greatest commandment, Jesus said, is this, love God and love people. It's inseparable. Like if you really love God, you're going to show it by how you love people. So that's the greatest commandment, so we're going to love people. And then the great commission, which is found in Matthew chapter 28. Feel free to go there if you'd like. Matthew 28, it's the very end of the book of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament. It's the first of the four gospels about Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. He says, he says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. Everybody say obey. obey. It's an important part of the Great Commission, by the way. And then he says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. That is the Great Commission right there. So, question for you. Do you think that that statement that Jesus gave to those 11 disciples only applied to them? Was it only for them? Or is it for all of us? I think we all got to just imagine ourselves in that moment on top of this mountain with Jesus. And he's, he's given us this, this mission. Here's, here's, here's what I'm calling you to do. I think that these words were so important to Matthew, who was one of the guys standing there in that moment, that this is where he ended his gospel. So this is it. This is the climax right here. And so he made these the last words of Jesus in the book of Matthew. And so I believe that the last words of Jesus need to be our first priority. And it's, it's, it's that important. So then Jesus, at the very end of that, says, I will be with you everywhere you go. I will be with you. Even in that moment for the disciples, it still didn't fully make sense. They're not quite comprehending. How is this possible? Jesus, like, if you're going away, how are you going to be with us? And so then when we jump into Acts chapter 1, we see how Jesus is going to do this, how he's going to be with us, because he's going to send his spirit, his presence to literally dwell within every single believer. So let's go to Acts chapter 1. We're going to look at this. And today we're going to look at the birth of the church here in Acts chapter 2. Birth of the church. So Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start with verse 4. I think Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, by the way, are very important chapters in regards to how you and I should live as followers of Jesus. These are foundational for us as disciples and as a church community. So Acts chapter 1, verse 4. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, Jesus was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know the times or date the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So a couple of things about this passage right here. You can see Jesus, again, describing the, the nature of the church. It's going to be expansive in nature. We talked about this last week. And Jesus 
in Matthew 16, describes how the church will expand spiritually, like storming and taking out the gates of hell. And here again in Acts, he's saying, hey, you're going to be my witnesses, and your witness is going to grow starting in Jerusalem to Judea, to Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. He's describing again, this time geographically, the expansive nature of the church. This is how he set it up. What's interesting to me is that Jesus doesn't send them out immediately to, to start the church. So after he said those words, Jesus floated up into the sky where he's at the right hand of the Father right now. So these were his very, very last words right before he ascended into heaven. But it's kind of fascinating to me that, that Jesus didn't say, okay, guys, now it's, this is your turn. Now go and, and make disciples. What he says is, before you do that, I got one more thing for you. Go into Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for this gift. I've been talking to you all about this gift for, for a couple years now. Okay, so now it's time. In a few days, I'm going to send this gift. So don't do anything until that happens. So go and wait. And so they do. They go and they wait for 10 days. They go back to that upper room where they had that last supper. They're in that upper room. They're hanging out. They're praying. They're praying. They really have a 10-day prayer meeting. And then the Spirit is poured out on the day of Pentecost, and the church is born. It is birthed on that day, on the day of Pentecost, after a 10-day prayer meeting. But Jesus knew it was so important for them to receive the Holy Spirit before they went out to be witnesses and make disciples. He knew they needed to be empowered with this gift of the Holy Spirit. He said, you will receive power. That word power is the Greek word dunamis. Everybody say dunamis. It's a fun word to say. Dunamis. It's where we get our word dynamite. So you can see there's an explosiveness behind the meaning of this, but it literally means the miraculous supernatural power of God. That's what this dunamis power is referring to. And so Jesus is saying, before you go out and and, and be witnesses and make disciples and start the church, I want you to receive this power from me. You are going to need this in order to be the church that I'm calling you to be. That's how important this was, which is kind of an allusion back to how Jesus started his ministry. He didn't go public until he was baptized in water, and then the Spirit came on him. And then he went out into the desert, fasted for four days, and he began his public ministry. And so he's telling his disciples, same thing, guys, uh, go and wait, and when that gift, when the power comes on you, then you can do what I have called you to do. So what's interesting to me about Jesus is that he only mentions church twice, but he talks a lot about the kingdom of God, and he talks about being followers of him, what it takes to follow him, and he talks a lot about being disciples and making disciples, or even being witnesses here. But only twice does Jesus mention church. First time we looked at last week, Matthew 16, the church, he says, I will build my church, and it's going to take out the gates of hell. Speaking to the spiritual, expansive nature of the church. He said, spiritually, nothing can stop the church. And, and can we just be honest and say, even with all the imperfections we see in the church, the Spirit of God is still on the move through his church. People's lives are still getting changed. People are still getting healed. So God still uses even imperfect people. That is his grace. The second time Jesus talks about church is just a couple chapters later, Matthew 18. And he's using it in reference to learn how to get along with people. And if you need to exercise church discipline, that's what he talks about church. 
The rest of it deals with discipleship. And in the end, Jesus gives him the great commission. He doesn't say, hey, guys, go and start churches. He doesn't say, go and plant churches. He says, go and make disciples. That was his focus. And I think that needs to be our focus as well. Not about how many churches can we plant and and, and how big can the church be, but how many disciples can we make? That needs to be our focus. See, we can plant churches and not make disciples. It is very possible. But when we make disciples, we will always end up with the church. That will always happen. There are a lot of people going to church that are not disciples of Jesus. They're not fully devoted followers of who he is, living the life of Jesus, emulating his life, and doing what he's called us to do. We can plant churches and not have disciples, but when we make disciples, we will always end up with a church. So I think this is the reason Jesus wanted them to focus. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. And the same is is for you and me. That's a calling you have. Go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. You made a lot of things this last week. Some of you made some probably really good food. You made some, I don't know what else you made. You probably made things in your job. I don't know. Nothing else comes to mind. But the question is this. Did you make a disciple? That's what we're called to do. This is, the, this is like the greatest thing that we could ever make in our life. And it's the Holy Spirit empowering us to first be a witness, to share our faith, to share Jesus, so that we can make disciples of Jesus. And with that, the church grows. And Jesus builds his church, and it takes out the gates of hell. So this summer... We had a series here, and we called it Imperfect People, Perfect God. Heard lots of cool stories about how Jesus has changed people's lives and marriages and, and different things. Awesome. And all summer long, I was gone, but via video, I pointed us to this sheet right here. And, and the whole goal was, I want to train you how to write out your story. Because if someone asks you, why are you a Christian, or maybe just the conversation goes into faith, you can share, hey, this is what Jesus has done in my life. They may not want to hear about the story of God and the gospel, but they may be interested in your story. And here's what I've learned is too many Christians are not ready to share their story because they haven't thought it through. And so I would encourage you to take one of these, one of these sheets. It's in the uh, resource rack, I call it, in the lobby there. And... Uh, grab one of these. And here's the interesting thing about us talking about this every single Sunday this summer is that some of you probably took it, but we never heard from anybody. And that could be okay as long as you used it. But, we, but here's the deal. We want you to write out your story. This is a tool to help you learn how to write out your story and what Jesus has done in your life. And then we want you to send it to us because we want to collect all the stories about how God has changed our lives in this church community. Can you please... Do that. Maybe you don't need this, this, this tool to help you. Maybe you do. Send it to us. Email it to us because we want to gather all of the life-changing stories of Jesus within our church community. Uh, but more than that, I want to equip you. I want to help you share your story. And when that moment comes, the Spirit of God is going to give you boldness. The Spirit of God is going to give you power to be a witness for Him. I'll never forget when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I had been saved 
for a year. It was really growing in my relationship with Jesus. And then I was baptized in the Holy Spirit. I didn't really even know what it was, what was going on. I'm speaking in tongues. All my buddies around me, they're speaking in tongues. I had this incredible encounter experience with God that marked me for the rest of my life. I've never been the same ever since that moment. There's this boldness and this courage that came on me, guys, after that, that was so different from who I was before. I started sharing my faith in Jesus with my basketball teammates. I'm wearing Christian t-shirts to school. I don't care. I'm just like, I was bold for Jesus after he baptized me with the Holy Spirit. And maybe you've never been baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's why we believe it is an important part of our Christian faith. It's not so you can speak in tongues. It's so you can be empowered to be a witness for Jesus. And so if you're interested in that, I mean, just so you know, you can pray for that, and it can happen anytime, any day, anywhere. It can happen today, uh, but we'll talk a lot about it at Freedom Conference. Uh, that's another reason I'd encourage you to go to Freedom Conference, where you can be empowered to be a greater witness for Jesus. Jesus thought that was important before they even started the church. Don't you think it's important for us today, if we're going to be witnesses for him and, and live out being the church? Okay, so... The disciples, they listen to Jesus. They go into town. They wait. Holy Spirit fills them. They're all baptized in fire, baptized in the Holy Spirit, just like Jesus said. It causes this incredible commotion in Jerusalem. Thousands of people gather around with where they're at, and they're wondering, what is going on here? There's like some party we weren't invited to. These people are crazy. They're drinking too much. What is going on? And, and it seems like most of Jerusalem sees what's going on here as the Spirit is poured out in this upper room of believers. And so Peter stands up and he addresses the thousands of people that are there. He wants to explain to them, all of his friends, all the fellow Jews, what is going on. So jump ahead to chapter 2, verse 14. It says this, Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Can I just say that the Spirit of God will empower you to stand up? Peter stood up. This is the same Peter, by the way, that just five or six weeks earlier denied Jesus three times. He denied his faith in Jesus. As Jesus was going to the cross, was being arrested and going to the cross, Peter denied his friend, a relationship, a connection with, with his friend. And the crazier thing about the whole story is Jesus told him he was going to do it, and if you're familiar with the story, Peter looks at Jesus and says, I would never do that, Jesus. I will never turn my back on you. They might, but I never will. That's what Peter says. And then within a few hours, Peter is denying Jesus, even to a little girl. And then five, six weeks later, here's Peter standing up to thousands of people, and he's going to talk about Jesus. What changed? The Spirit of God had filled him with power. This is why you and I need the Spirit of God to fill us with power. Okay, so he's got boldness. He stands up. He says, fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only nine in the morning. Apparently, they accused them of being you know, drunk. What's going on? They're drinking too much, which is a hilarious accusation because drunk people tend to talk less eloquently, not more eloquently, these people are filled with the Spirit. They begin to speak in other languages. And so the people are hearing that, like, they're talking in my native tongue. There's people, like, from North Africa. Like, I hear them talking in my tongue. Like, what's... They're hearing all these different languages, and, the, and their conclusion is they must be drunk. 
But when people are drunk, they talk on a slur. They don't talk. They don't talk is like they're they're they're. It's hard to understand what they're saying, right? But they don't know what's going on. They're like, what's what is this? And so they just think, no, maybe they're drunk. And so Peter's saying, no, no. Here's what's going on. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. So he begins to quote the Old Testament prophet of Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. We'll stop right there. Peter goes on. He preaches the first Christian sermon. Talks about Jesus, connects him as being the Messiah who's prophesied about in the Old Testament. Talks about Jesus, and twice he says this. You know Jesus, the one you all killed? Twice he says that, which is to me is hilarious. And at the end, the crowd, a lot of people in the crowd respond, what do we do? We believe you. How do we respond to this? And so Peter says, repent, get baptized, and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so 3,000 people at least do that that day. I say at least because they tended to only count the men back in those days in a very sexist society, right? Wouldn't fly today, right? But there was at least this... At least 3,000 people there, probably more, because they're probably just counting the men. And that's how the church is birthed right there. But it was birthed through the power of the Holy Spirit, using Peter and the disciples. And now, here they are. The first believers in Jesus, there's thousands of them. What do they do? This is why I love Acts chapter 2 and 3 and 4 and 5. Like, they're just figuring out now, how do we live this thing out? How do we be the church? And so verse 42 gives us really cool insight as to what they were doing as the church, as the first church, the first followers of Jesus. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So they were devoted to those things. We'll talk about those in more detail, I believe, next week at our, at our one Sunday but they were devoted people. And can I just say what you're devoted to determines the direction of your life? What are you devoted to? If I really want to be a good husband or a good dad, and I really devote myself to growing in that, then that's the direction I'm going to go. If I am devoted to living a very comfortable, kind of self-focused life, then that's the direction I'm going to go. Whatever I'm devoted to determines the direction of my life. If I really am devoted to Jesus, then that's the direction I am going to go in my life. And so what I'm devoted to determines the direction of my life. If we just say we're devoted to something, but we live differently, we're not really devoted. We're devoted to something else, right? It's just words. It's just talk. It's just a hope or a desire, but that's not really what I'm devoted to. So these first followers of Jesus were devoted to these things, and I just want to highlight one of them One of them today, and that is prayer. How devoted to you, how devoted are you to prayer? Can you imagine what prayer would have been like for these first century believers? They'd been praying to God their whole life. Never felt the presence of God because the Spirit of God had never lived inside of them. In Old Testament times, only a few people were filled with the Spirit of God. 
And so for generations, Jewish people who believed in God, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed, they prayed. Now here are these believers in Jesus, and they're continuing their prayer life, but now their prayer life has like, it's like exploded because all of a sudden now the Spirit of God lives inside of them. They have never experienced this before. This is a new thing. This is probably just mind-blowing to them. Like prayer is way better than it ever was when we did it before Jesus, now, like, the Spirit of Jesus is inside of us. They're, they're hearing from Jesus. They're experiencing Jesus. They sense his presence because that's what prayer is. Prayer is you and I growing in that relationship with Jesus. It's communing with him, learning how to be with him. It's not just us talking to him, but also him talking to us, receiving from him. Their prayer life was probably radically different after committing their life to Jesus since the Spirit of God now lived inside of them. Have you ever thought about that? But I, I, I focus on prayer because I really believe that God is calling us to go deeper in prayer. If you're going to see God do what you want to see him do in your life and in your family, it's going to come through prayer. If we're going to see God move in our church in greater ways, it's going to happen through prayer. If we're going to see the Spirit of God really move in this city, and in our neighborhoods, and in our workplaces. It's going to happen through prayer. I want to encourage all of us to go deeper in our devotion to prayer. And it starts individually with, for us doing that. This is my challenge to you. I just want you to ask God, God, what, what does that mean for me? What does that look like for me? How can I seek you more? How can I spend more time with you? How can my prayer life go to the next level? Can I just say that the only way to grow in prayer is to do it? And some of us struggle because like, I'm not a good prayer. I'm not a good prayer. Nobody is in the beginning. Just start sharing your heart. Just start like read the word and then just listen, listen to God. You know, it just, the only way to grow in prayer is doing it. And sometimes we, we get intimidated and we, we give up. Sometimes we we don't want to go to a prayer meeting because, like, that's where all the good prayers go. And I'm not a good prayer, so I don't want to go there. But let me just encourage you to grow in your devotion to prayer, just seeking God, spending time with him. What does that mean for you? I don't know, but I believe you and God can figure that out. But also, I want to invite you to a couple prayer meetings that we have in this church. One of them is on Tuesday night. Every Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, right here in this room. There's, a, there's people that get together that pray and intercede for people in our church, for our city, for our nation. Maybe you want to join them on Tuesday nights right here and pray. Every Sunday morning, we pray as well. We've been doing it for, for years and years and years and years. Within the last year, the, this prayer time has exponentially grown. It's been amazing. And uh, we started at 10, but we want to, for this season while we're in one service, we want to extend that prayer time and invite all of you, if you want to come, 9.45. Maybe you want to come an hour early to church and just join us. And let's just pray from 9.45 to 10.15. We're just having Sunday morning prayer for 30 minutes to all together right here. We had, Steve alluded to it already, we had a phenomenal time of prayer here this morning, guys. God is on the move in this church and in people's lives. And it's happening as we have people praying. And I tell our Tuesday night prayer group, I believe that God is doing things because of their prayers. And we are seeing God do new things, great things, and we just want to continue to see greater things. But it's going to happen as you and I really lean into him and just 
be not just a Christian that prays, but a praying Christian. Not just a church that prays, but a praying church. That's what we want to be. And so the early church, they were devoted to prayer. And they saw incredible things happening in and through their community. And I believe the same will happen through us as we just devote ourselves to more and more prayer. In fact, let's look at those last couple of verses there in that little section there at the end of chapter 2 of Acts. Verse 46, every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Again, I love these verses because it's showing us how God is moving through that first century church and how they are shaking up the city of Jerusalem and how God is using them. And there's just amazing things are happening as they are trying to learn what does it mean to be the church of Jesus. They're just figuring this thing out because Jesus didn't tell them how to do church. Jesus just told them to make disciples. That's all he told them to do. He didn't tell them how to do church. There is no correct formula for how to do church. And if it looks different than what we're doing, does that mean it's not church? Um, no, I think maybe a good blueprint is just right here, Acts 2.42, all the way through 47. That's just, but it's really just you and I being the church. We need to get together publicly in homes, and you can see that these truly are disciples of Jesus who are making other disciples of Jesus because more and more people are being added to their number every single day. People were getting saved. And here's what I see God doing in today's generation, in our era today. God is stirring. It almost feels like a new movement. It's already happening in in a lot of Eastern culture countries. But God is stirring a new movement within the Western culture church of us not being as focused on church, but being more focused on being a disciple of Jesus who goes and makes disciples of Jesus. And we're, we're seeing cool things happen with this. And I believe that's how revival is going to take place within the Western culture. It's going to be a movement, not of awesome, amazing church services where God showed his power. I believe revival is going to happen as disciples make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And then all of a sudden we're going to see, like, like half of our city is following Jesus. What's, what's, what's happening here? It's because we're being the church. And we've made it less about the gathering and more about the being of the church. Okay, so we got to gather. That's good. This is good. God's going to use our church to reach people, but he might use you to reach more people than our church ever could, as you be the church. There's a lot I want to say about this, but let me just point us to Uh, these things called go groups. This is a little bookmark that we have in our resource rack in the lobby. Some of you have never heard about go groups. Maybe you saw on that little card of fall groups there. Maybe you saw go groups on there and you're like, I have no idea what the heck that is. And let me tell you what go groups are. Very simple. It's, It's something that you can do with anyone, anywhere, anytime, whatever works for you. You start the group, you you find the people, and you can do it in your own time. And maybe none of the other groups work out for your schedule or for your liking. 
let me just commission you to start your own Go group. You can find this bookmark, and it's got some really cool questions on what you can do when you get together. And here's the great thing about Go group. It requires zero preparation. A child can lead a Go group. It is that simple. And some of us, like, we feel like we got to prepare. we got to have this huge teaching, all this kind of stuff. And some of you that are reading this book right now, Miraculous Movements, they are seeing incredible miracles and just a mighty move of God by doing simple Bible studies that are exactly like our Go groups. And we're doing Go groups out of our Disciple Maker Initiative. There's a, there's a group of us that are meeting on Sunday nights, and we're just like, let's move this discipleship thing forward. So we've got some Go groups going. We call them a Discovery Bible Study. It's the same thing. Uh, but would you know that we had somebody get saved in one of our Go groups this last Wednesday? Isn't that great? Someone else rededicated their life to Jesus in this. And it's amazing how when you just open up the word, zero preparation, let's read this and let's let God speak to us. How the Spirit of God uses His book to speak to people and their life is changed. And it requires zero teaching on our part. It's just the Spirit of God moving in their life. These are simple, they're easy, they're profound, they're powerful. If you want to start one of these, let me know. I will help you. I will equip you. But this is one thing you could do this fall if you wanted to do a go group. I think this is one of the things that God's going to breathe on in the coming years, in the coming decades within the church. As we go and be the church and we find people who are not interested in church, but they are interested in Jesus. This is the solution. What are we going to do? There's a lot of people that would say, forget the church, follow Jesus. What are we going to do about those people? How about we take church to them? How about we be the church and say, okay, hey, let's just, hey would you be interested in reading the Bible? And let's just read it and see what, what, what it says about our life and what it says about God. So many people are interested in that. But the moment you invite them to church, they're like, I went to one. It was weird. You know, what if we just brought church to them because we are the church? All right, so this is one of the things I think God is doing right now. So let's look at one last verse in here as we bring this to a close here. Why is all this incredible stuff happening within the first century church? Verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Just say that word, awe. That's what the dentist asks you to say, right? Say awe. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. That's how it started, but then it became, you know, God can use all of us to perform miracles, miraculous signs. All of us are anointed with the same Holy Spirit. But I wonder if they saw God move and do incredible things because they just had this sense of awe of who God is. I wonder if we've lost that awe of how great and amazing and powerful and loving our God is. I wonder if that's why we don't see the miracles as much. It's because that awe of who he is is just gone. And then it becomes the cycle, right? Like of, like, then we don't pray for the miracles. We don't pray for those things. And therefore, then we don't grow again in this awe of God because we aren't seeing him do those things. What if we got our awe? Have you ever had a season like that in your life where it's like, I just was in so awe of God. I mean, the season of life, it's like God was just 
always amazing even when bad things happened. They had this awe of God. And I just would love to see an awe just fall upon us as a group of people of who God is. Not just because of what he does, maybe primarily first because of who he is. Because he made you and me and gave us life and created everything. He is the creator of everything. He put everything in motion. That alone should cause us to go, wow. But then because of what we see him doing, because we have this just incredible awe of God. My God's great. He's bigger than this problem that I've, I'm facing right now. He's bigger than this problem you're facing. Come on, let's pray right now. I believe that God is bigger than what you're going through, and he's going to help you. Let's just pray right now. Oh, you've got a sickness? I believe God's bigger than your sickness. I'm going to pray for you right now because i got this awe of who God is. I just pray God give us that again. May God stir up an awe within us of who he is. I want to take just a couple extra minutes here to read a story to you. Oftentimes I like to recap stories and kind of retell stories. I felt it was best to read this story in their words so you can feel it from them and how they describe it as it's been translated into English. It's about a guy named Desta in this book I'm encouraging all of us to read right here. Desta. He says, I've been a church planner for some years when I received training on how to make disciples the way Jesus did. We really did not know how it might work, but we wanted to try and see. My friend Samuel, a very smart guy Samuel is, had planned to go with me to a certain Muslim village. Uh, In my strategy, I had taken a map and had made a note for my team to avoid one community because it was so, it was too harshly Islamic and very dangerous for Christians to be there. So Samuel and I headed out on my motorcycle to our distant Destination. I just love that picture. It's like him and his buddy on the back of his motorcycle. We had been riding all day, very hot, very uncomfortable. We were looking forward to getting there because besides being tired, we were riding through some areas that are hostile to Christians. That very town that I had warned others to avoid at all costs, in fact. And that is when the motorcycle broke down. I started to groan. Why should I love or why should I have a motorcycle break down? I said that out loud to nobody. Samuel wasn't listening anyway. I continued on. You can't even ask someone from this village for water because they are Muslims. They will see me coming and think they will defile themselves just by speaking to me. So why? I guess I was speaking to God, but it didn't feel much like prayer. So I tried to use my own ideas to fix the bike. I tried to start. started by pushing it. Then I had Samuel ask people nearby, but there was no mechanic in the village. It was getting late. We stood there thinking what to do. It was too far to walk too far to push the bike. We were out of ideas, and that's when we heard the loud crying. It was more like wailing, actually. Many people were moaning in the village nearby. It was getting dark now, and the sound made goosebumps on my arms, but I felt like something was telling me to go and find out what was happening. Samuel asked someone who was walking past, and he said that the chief's wife had died that afternoon. It was too late to bury her. They would do that in the morning, but now they were wailing for her. A voice kept telling me, go up and see what is happening here. So I told Samuel, wait here. I'm going to find out what it's all about. I still felt frightened. Or you can come with me, I added. So we went together into the village, 
feeling very nervous and confused. I didn't even speak their dialect, though Samuel understood it. But my conscience kept saying, go and see, don't stand back. So we obeyed and we went. All the men in the village, they moved into our way as we walked in because they wanted to do their ceremonies and wanted us to leave. But I kept walking and pushing my way through and Samuel Samuel was behind me. Then I saw the corpse and something told me to start praying. I'd never done this before, praying for a dead person. I prayed for the sick, but never for those already dead. Something was battling within myself. I couldn't see any urgency to pray for this woman. She was already dead. Then Samuel pulled my sleeve. They're making announcements, he said in my ear. They're calling the village back together. They want to get on with the ceremony. We should leave now. By then, I was really struggling. If I pray and nothing happens, I wondered, how can we get out of this place? What will they do to us? But something kept saying, go and pray. The urgency was so strong on me that I had to obey. So I told the people that I wanted to pray for the chief's dead wife. They made some comments, but I couldn't understand them anyway, so I just went up to the body and started to pray. It was a loud and violent prayer. God filled me with extraordinary strength to pray and continue praying. So I prayed. I prayed. I prayed. People around me were commenting, but I just kept praying. I prayed very loud for one hour. I called her by name, asking God to send her back to her people. I called upon the name of Jesus. I asked him to revive the life of this person as he did when he was on earth. I prayed for an hour and a half. And then I started to feel warmth in her hand. Then I started to feel a heartbeat. So I continued praying and praying, and the crowd started to get angry. Let's remove this man, someone said. He is wasting our time. But others pushed in and said, no, let him continue. It is Allah who has sent him. And then the woman opened her eyes. Everybody started shouting. The women screamed. She's opened her eyes. She's opened her eyes. The mourners stopped wailing. Even the women stopped crying. I could hardly stand up because everyone was pushing against me, trying to see the dead woman coming back alive. But I kept praying. Then she sat up and asked, may I have some water? She sat there and asked for water. What could we do? Someone ran up with a bottle and we gave her water. Then everyone stopped making noise. It became very quiet. Everyone was speechless, watching the dead woman drinking. Then the crowd moved back and everyone stopped stopped staring at the chief's wife. Now they were staring at me. These people are wonderful men, someone shouted. They have raised the dead, and the Spirit of God told me, tell them who Jesus is. I said, Chief, elders of this village, I thank you all for thinking that we are great men. That is very nice, but I want you to know something. The greatness that you are seeing is not because of us. We are ordinary people, but there is a man named Jesus. And then I told them the truth about God's free gift of salvation, and I prayed for them. When I had finished praying, I was thinking about leaving Quickly, I was thinking, like, what if this is not permanent? Maybe she will die again. If she just dies again, then (laughs) it's being honest, right? But the people would not let us leave. They compelled us and said, oh, no, you are not leaving. Maybe they were thinking the same thing. So they helped her walk her to her house, and she got into bed because she was still very weak and tired. Then they brought sleeping mats for us, and they put us 
in the next room beside the chief's bedroom. And that is where we spent the night. We spent the night there, but we did not sleep much there. What would happen in the morning? The next morning, she was still alive. And she is still alive to this day. So in the morning, the chief came to us and said, I want to thank God for you. I am born Muslim, and I am not going to renounce that faith. But from today, by God's grace, I believe you're Jesus. This was a little confusing, but he continued. Listen, he said, there has been a law here that nothing like Christianity, like the name of Jesus, nobody can say it. No one can even hear it. But because your Jesus has raised this woman, my wife, because he has raised her from being dead, today I am lifting the ban. Anyone in this village who wants to become a Christian can become a Christian. The woman who you raised, her children, whoever, anyone who wants can become a Christian. Then he pointed to a wide building down the road. That is a community school, he said. If you want to start praying there, you can start coming there and praying for our people. And the Spirit of God spoke to me again. He says, it is I who stopped you from leaving this place. He said, and the reason for that is for you to have a time of prayer. So I asked the chief to gather the people to, uh, of the village, but he didn't have to do much. Everyone was already there to see if his wife was still alive. So we stood out in front, and Samuel called, we want to pray for everybody. If you are sick, if you have any problems, come to the community school, and we will pray for you. Many people came there, and we prayed for them, praying for many different needs. Then I told them about Jesus again, and Samuel translated, and at the end of the day, 76 people gave their life to Jesus, men, women, and children. And that is how the church was planted in that community. And then we went to check on our motorcycle, and it started right away. And today, that whole region is filled with many churches. Come on, doesn't that just stir like an awe of who God is? God is still raising people from the dead. If he can do that through some ordinary Christians in the mountains of somewhere in Africa, he can do it through you anywhere, anytime. Remember that question I posed? The question is, what if we made the mission of God a matter of life and death? I think it is. And God wants to use you. By his spirit, he wants to empower you to live for him, but not just for him, with him. You can do this, friends. You can be the disciple in the church that he has called you to be by his power. Amen. You ready for that? So, thanks for letting me take a few extra minutes on sharing that story. Here's some practical next steps. If we're going to continue to see God move beyond this moment, I think it's good for us to do, like, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do this next, next week. So, I got some next steps. Here's your reminder. Take the APES test. Okay, go to the digital program. It's not in the, on the uh, website, by the way. It is in our digital program. We'll also email it out to everybody, right? Sign up for the Freedom Conference. We believe strongly that you and I need to be there. We want our whole church to be there. If you're in town, be there. Number three, get in a group or start one. And number four, write out my story and share it. Write out your story. Get ready to share your story so that when that moment comes, 
you know what you're going to say. Number five, read or listen to Miraculous Movements, which is this book I just read from here. By the way, we have 10 copies for sale for $15 in the lobby out there. If you want to go, you can find, I think maybe Pastor Rachel will be selling it. But we've got 10 copies available. You can order it on Amazon if you want, but we've got 10 available here today. The last thing is this. Would you devote yourself to prayer? Devote yourself to prayer. What's that look like for you? Maybe you want to come to one or both of these prayer meetings that we have as well as just going deeper and further in your prayer life. Would you stand your feet right now? Thanks again for listening to this message at Rivers Church. We'd love to have you subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already. To learn more about what's going on in the life of our church community, check us out at riverschurch.co. I pray that this week you would walk in the power and the presence of God. Thanks for joining us.